I'm reading from the book of Genesis chapter 19. And just a few verses here. Verse 1. Genesis 19 and verse 1. And there came two angels to Sodom at even. Lot sat at the gate, Sodom, and Lot, seeing them, arose to meet them, bowed himself to his face. He said, Behold, now my lords, turn in, I pray you, to your servant's house, tarry all night. Wash your feet, rise up early, go, go. They said, No, we're going to stay in the street tonight. But Lot, he, with great concern, he pressed them. So they came inside his house. He made them dinner, and they ate. Of course, these were angelic beings. And verse 2 gives us a little insight that he recognized the difference. Verse 16, upon hearing what was coming, the judgment that would ensue. Lot lingered. The men laid hold upon his hand, took him, and upon the hand of his wife, and upon the hand of his daughters. And the Lord, being merciful unto him, brought them out and set them without the city. Don't miss that. It's not a passive movement that wasn't a passive instance. Took them. Here's the NIV, verse 16. When he hesitated, the men grasped the hand and the hands of his wife and the two daughters and led them. God was merciful to them to pull them out. I don't know that I set the tone for anything, but I know that the Holy Ghost does. If I'm hearing the voice of God, and if the Lord will grant me uh, insight into His divine voice, then I'll relay it to you. And I believe that the Lord has spoken. Now, before you get too far, put your Bibles down and just you a little recollection of what the Lord's done for you. And I want you to remember where the Lord brought you from. I want you to, if you can, remember the lowest point of your life and that how he brought you out. Can you remember? We fall down we get up, we fall down, but we get up, we fall down, but we get up, for the saint is just a sinner who falls down, and got up. 
we fall down, we get up, we fall down, we get up, we fall down, we get up, for the saint is just a sinner, oh, the saint is just a sinner, yes, the saint is just a sinner who falls down, amen, and got up. Amen. And all the people said amen. Clap your hands unto the Lord for the goodness of God. Man, you may be seated. Compel. Biblical context is always crucial to the message, regardless of who might relay it. Leaving out the contextual view often distorts the subject, especially through these scriptures, due to the vast difference between the culture of our postmodern view and the culture which existed in the framework of the Bible. But there are times when the difference between what was occurring in the scripture and what is happening today is so small. that The line is so thin that it almost seems like what was written could be current news. The conditions of our world today have shifted so violently against God that there seems to be Little to no boundary of perversions left unexplored. It's reminiscent of Rome and the Roman Empire and of Nero, who exhausted the catalog of crimes. The words of Jesus concerning the days of Noah are striking. Jesus will speak of our day, he said in Luke 17. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day, right to the day that Noah entered into the ark. Right up to the moment of judgment. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. Verse 28, it was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, the last remaining preserving person, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. The conditions were simple. Life Continued without any regard to constraint or any view of a holy God. People just going about the daily duties of life. And they were lawless and they are flagrant and they exist fleshly and carnal. The word of God had been forgotten. Sacrifices in that day were dismissed and humanism filled the gap. Now, Jesus offers no comfort for that coming day. He spoke of it in definitive terms. He said, 
just like the days of Noah and just like the days of Lot. But they also knew the debauchery that existed in those times. The audience to which Jesus spoke understood the perversions which consumed those ages like a hanging cloud littered with debris. It stained the historical account. This was not the only reference Jesus made to Lot. At one point, he will pause in his exhortation. It is the second shortest verse in the Bible. He simply said in Luke 17, 32, Remember Lot's wife. It invoked something in his audience. When he said to remember it, it, it by, by virtue of his statement means they understood it. They had memory of the story and they could imagine it. Jesus makes these references because thousands of years later, the story of Lot was still relevant to all of them. They knew of her. They knew of Lot. They repeated the fiery judgment of God against those wicked places. The Bible says that Lot moved from the protective confines of Abraham's commitment and covenant to the wayward cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Maybe by way of pride or independence, we cannot be sure. But he chose a place away, far removed from Abraham. And in time, he made concessions with his family and with himself. No one, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you're hearing me today. No one ever thinks that they would do such a thing. Few ever verbally say, this move is going to hurt my wife and my children. No one ever utters these words. The thing I'm about to do is going to destroy me or damage my walk with God. It's just a whim of the flesh. It's concessions and compromises and excuses that build up until finally there is a wedge between us and God. All of them lead to an absence from the confines of a holy life, which is your protective covering. If you remove your guardrails... You will fall off. But Lot ignored the danger. He was caught up in the hustle and bustle of whatever constituted modernism of his day. He bypassed rational thought, moved his wife and daughters into a place of extremism. There was no such thing as extremism like the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Those places become so vile that their deeds awakened God's prejudgment judgment. God would not tolerate it. Their sinful practices had traversed the allowances by the most wicked of people in times. Of all of those heathen nations and God determined to remove them entirely. Abraham would probably not have entered the conversation but Lot, his nephew, was there. And so because Abraham had a nephew there and had feelings, he had a vested interest. He interceded on behalf of Lot and his family. Abraham was the human shield Put your hand on yourself and say, I'm the human shield. You didn't all do that. I'm the human shield. Say it. I'm the intercessor. You were called to be an intercessor. If you don't intercede, no one's going to intercede. Ah. And because Abraham interceded, They were saved. Let me show you the view of the church or what it is supposed to be. It's found in Genesis 18, 22. We need to get this. 
It needs to seep deep into our bones. It needs to be on the tip of our tongue. This is our stance, ladies and gentlemen, and I'll read it to you. Genesis 18:22. The men, the angels, turned toward Sodom. They're on their way. But Abraham remained standing before the Lord. I'll wait. He remained standing before the Lord. Lot was a dead man walking. The location of his living was the place of soon coming judgment. It was all coming down. And when those two angelic beings walked toward the cities, Abraham remained as an intercessor before the Lord. He said, Lord, I know that you would not sweep the wicked away with the, un, with the, with the, with the righteous. So, Lord, if there are 50 righteous people, would you save the whole city? And God said, if you find 50, if I can find 50, yes, I will. But in all those thousands of people, there were not 50. And now Abraham begins bargaining with God. Lord, I know you're good. Pardon me, Lord. But if there's 30, if there's 40, if there's, if there's 20, what about just 10 and yet 10 could not be found but God sent two angels to rescue Lot his wife and two daughters it was not enough hear this it was not enough to save the whole and the sadness is overwhelming that people could become so vile that a dragnet of judgment would consume all of them but God was good and Abraham was bold God was merciful and Abraham stood standing as an intercessor, even still when the angels came. And Lot obviously knew who they were or what they were. He lingered, even though he knew that they were not ordinary men. He did not immediately move. Lot did not say to his small family, hey, we've got to get out of here. We must leave. Because living day after day in a place of secularism and humanism and moral decay infects a person's spirit and it doesn't matter who you're related to or what kind of life you have. You live in that kind of environment, it's going to infect you. The word is called vexed. V-E-X-E-D, vexed. Peter wrote of it. I'll read it. About God, he's saying. Second Peter 2.5 And spare not... The old world, God didn't spare them, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness. Why did he say the eighth person? Because Noah had three sons, and they had wives, and he had a wife. That means Noah made sure his wife, every one of his sons, and every one of his daughter-in-laws got on that boat, and then he went in last. I'm not going in first. I'm making sure everybody's getting in. You got to get in. Judgment coming. It's coming. I'm going to be the eighth one. I'll close the door or I'll, I'll whatever it is, we're going to get inside. He saved the eighth, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Verse 6, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that should live ungodly. And delivered, God delivered just Lot. Peter said he was just vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. Because when you hear it over and over and over and over, your spirit gets vexed. For that righteous man, Lot, dwelling among them in seeing and hearing every day, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds, every movie, every 
video, every commercial, every news article, every posted banner on the side of your computer, every manuscript, every song, every one of those things. I don't care who they are. If they get up in the middle of the Grammys and they're looking like they're looking perverse and they're thanking God, they're doing wrong because the Bible says don't throw your pearls among swine. I want to tell the church we become vexed. That's why when the choir starts to sing about Abraham's, Abraham's blessing and an inheritance, not everybody's excited. I want to get excited. I kept thinking, thank God, I got something to live for and to look to. This stain with Noah and the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah run deep throughout the New Testament, both among the religious order of Jesus Day and the early church. They knew it. They understood what being vexed meant. It's not found in the proper form in Webster's view today. It was the daily wearing down of purity every day, shaving off a little commitment here and there, compromising and belittling the right things and poking fun. And every time you see a hypocrite in the church and then you make concessions about your own life and you say, well, they're being used, but they're not right. What difference does that make? You ought to, you ought to love God and live right. Because if you measure yourself by other people in the church, you can measure yourself right out of heaven. You can measure yourself right out of a blessing. Forget about what everybody else is doing and you get in the altar and you get in the vows and you get in the Holy Ghost and you keep giving and you keep loving. I'm not living for you. I'm living for heaven. I'm living for Jesus. Come on, everybody. You cannot afford to get vexed in your spirit. He was vexed every day. Hearing and seeing, every day, listening and watching, until the filthy conversation of the wicked had caused him to linger, wondering if he should get out, when he knew there was angelic beings in his home. Can you imagine? He lingered, even though the angelic host had come right to his house and said, it's time to leave. And he paused. I don't know. I don't know if I should get out or not. Here's the preacher. Here's the pastor. Sunday after Sunday. Come on, we got to be saved. I don't know. I don't know. Come on, be committed. I don't know. Why? Because you've been listening to the wrong thing every day and every day and every day and every day until finally your spirit's corrupt and you're, you're vexed. Yeah, you love God. Yeah, you want to go to heaven, but you're not sure if you want to get out. You're not sure if you're ready to leave all of that behind. I want to tell you one more time. Come on, it's time to get out. I'm compelling you. I'm pulling you. Come on, get out. Don't resist. Get in all oh, the way because in hearing and seeing our lifestyle turns to something very corrupt we know what to do did you know how many books are sold annually the last week of December and the first week of January with the subject about diet plans It's enormous. Every year they are the number one selling books, diet plans, diet articles. After Christmas and the first week of December, everybody is buying 
the new diet book. You got Dr. Atkins. I think he died. Heart disease or something. You got the Oprah Winfrey cabbage diet that's painful. You got the South Beach diet. I don't know why they call it. Unless you're really in shape, you ought not go there. Even if you are, you probably shouldn't. You got the starvation diet. Mm-hmm. You got the protein diet. You got the diet shakes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But about 1st of February, all the stores are filled with chocolate. And you say, a little bit won't hurt me. And then you got someone telling you, if you just break the candy in half, it reduces the calories. Uh-huh. You just eat half here and half later. It won't hurt you. Uh-huh. We all know what to do, but we're not doing it. You know. You know. But you won't. You say, but you don't. You know how, but the question is, will you? Uh-huh. Abraham, he remains before the Lord. He's interceding, interceding for the life of his nephew. He's calling out for mercy, watch this, through a burden of love. Oh God, will you rescue them? I know judgment is coming, Lord, and I know the world is too far gone. I know that not all will repent, and not all will turn from their immoral life, but will you save my nephew? If anyone needs to feel the heartbeat of this pulpit and you're wondering about it, then let it be this. We will remain standing before the Lord for the salvation of our city. If you want to know what we're about or what this pulpit's about, we're going to stand remaining before the Lord. It's time. We've seen too much, ladies and gentlemen. We have too much. We know too much. In fact, we know so much we can ill afford to die in convenience. It's time for you to tell me about the overflow of the outpouring of the Spirit that happened in your home this week. We're going to have an outpouring of the Holy Ghost in this house. It's time for you to make a testimony and write it down about what God did on Tuesday night or Thursday afternoon in your home. It's time for you to take the hundreds of testimonies of healings that have happened in your lifetime and in this house to your neighbors and your friends and for you to teach them the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are without excuse. And I feel like we have been so blessed, so blessed, that there is a clear connection between us and the city of Capernaum.
Go check out Luke chapter 4 and all the other miracles that happened so numerous in Capernaum. They could hardly be counted. In fact, at one point, it was just many came and many came and all were healed. Jesus cast out demons and devils in Capernaum. He delivered people from oppression in Capernaum. They brought their sick and he helped them and healed them. A paralytic man came and he was healed. A centurion's dying servant was healed. Peter's own mother-in-law was healed. The miraculous catching of fish happened there. And Jesus looked at that place which was so full of blessings. They overflowed with testimonies of what the Lord had done. But Jesus looked at him, looked at that city and said, here's Matthew 11. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee have been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. All the witnesses, all the testimonies, all the healings cannot be ignored. I say we have seen too much to hold back now. I want everyone to know if you are sick with a disease or some incurable thing, you will be healed in Jesus' name. There is power in the name of Jesus, and we are praying for your healing. And when you're delivered, you're not the first. You're in a long line of people that have been delivered. I'm sorry, I'm forgetting the, 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 the lady's name who's been coming. She's brand new. You might be in this house t- today. Pardon me. I, I, and, and, and maybe it's good that I don't remember your name. But there is a, there's a young lady who's been coming to our church. She was healed of colon cancer just in the last couple weeks. And she gave the testimony. She said, I came. I was prayed for. I'm healed of colon cancer. I went back to the doctor and I have no cancer in my body. I want you to know right now, whatever your healing is, I pray the blood of Jesus set you free. I pray right now, let there be healing right now in Jesus' name over your body and every infection in your body. Every blood cell that should not be there, I pray in Jesus' name for your deliverance and your healing. take authority in the name of Jesus by the power of the blood and the power of the name of Jesus Christ I pray I pray for every foul spirit that's hovering over your mind and over your shoulders I pray that thing is removed in Jesus' name. Every cloud of oppression and depression that conflicts you the moment you enter your room and your bedroom, I pray against that. It's waiting for you to get home, but I send the ministering spirits and the angels to your home right now to eradicate and to clean your house. I pray right now that when you walk into your home, there's going to be a fresh aroma of the Holy Ghost. I pray right now, let it be in the name of Jesus. We take authority over it in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Let the blood of Jesus right now enter the place of your residence. I pray it. When you come back for church tonight for six o'clock prayer, we're going to pray specific prayer. We're going to pray for a burden. Amen. Because we're not going to be like Capernaum. 
We're not going to be like Capernaum. Let me just tell you, if just a few things have been given to people that don't live in the United States, just a couple of these miracles and testimonies have been done to them that have never heard what you've heard. Pardon me, I hope this is not too aggressive. You're spoiled. You're spoiled rotten. You ought to be falling on your face and thanking God that he saved you because you have the knowledge of the truth. There's a thousand, there's a hundreds of thousands of people who wish they could be right here. Sorry, I, part, please pardon me. I'm, I'm, I've got some fire in me right now. I'm, I'm ready to start a movement. I'm ready to start a movement of Holy Ghost power and authority. I'm, I'm ready to have some hungry people that would join the bandwagon and say, we're going to go compel the world. We got to reach the world. We got to reach our city. You may be seated for a moment. Clap your hands when you get down there and just shout with your voice when you get down there. And just praise God when you're seated and you're clapping your hands because you know that the Holy Ghost is leading this house. The Holy Spirit's talking to me. Compel them. Grasp them by the hands. Lead them out of danger into safety. Do not be found caught up with the foolishness of this world. Ladies and gentlemen, do not get caught up with gossip. It is a, it is a bottomless pit. It is a tar baby. Don't put your finger or your hand into the tar baby. You'll never get it out. Banish from your life worldly pursuits. You've got a mission and a calling to remain standing before the Lord on behalf of everybody. But be found. Be remaining. Be standing. Make up the hedge. Stand in the gap. This is not just for this year, but I feel led to say this is the season and this is our final season. However long it may last, we are commissioned to evangelize our cities and to gather people wherever they're from. I'm praying for the spirit of evangelism to consume us. If you're rejected, then be rejected, but never stop compelling people to be saved. You will be rejected. That's all right. Go to the next person. Don't get upset because they cussed at you or they said, I'll never go to that church or I don't believe in God. You just smile at them and say, well, have a great day. I'm going to keep praying for you and go find somebody. If you can't find that person, go to the next person and compel them. Here's my direction for tonight's prayer meeting. Take a break. On praying for your needs. You can, but take a break for a night. Don't pray for a new job and don't pray for a material thing. And if you're lonely, take a break. Don't pray for a husband or a wife. And for sure, don't pray for the end of a husband or a wife. <laughs> Whatever. Take a break. Don't pray for the things that consume your daily life. Pray tonight, today, that God would give you a burden for the lost. And then keep on praying until you have a vision. 
Now I'm praying for you that you get a vision of heaven and you get a vision of hell. Because you need to know where you're going and why the saints are clamoring to get there. You need a city, you need to see a city where the streets are paved with gold and there's mansions and crowns and robes and the angels are crying holy. And you need to get a vision of hell. Because it is the judgment, the final judgment of the lost. Isaiah prophesied about it. The modern church has forgotten it, but the prophet wrote, Hell hath enlarged herself. She opened her mouth without measure to consume the people. You need to get a vision of hell. Because there's a lot of folks that sit in churches and they have no fear of the coming judgment. But Noah was moved by fear to build the ark. I'll read it. I was in my last year of high school and mom always promoted and told Scotty and I and Dana to go to church services. We, we love to go to church. We went to a service somewhere in St. Louis, and I don't remember the church. I want to say it was New Life. Um, I think it was Brother Rome's church at the time. I think, in fact, I think Brother Guy Rome was still the pastor. Or maybe, maybe it was Jim. I don't remember. Jim Rome or Guy Rome. They're wonderful men of God. The preacher was calling for a revival. <laughs> there was a lot of other folks there, and I watched some of them sit with their legs crossed, their arms folded. <laughs> but the guest preacher was laboring in the pulpit. Sweat was dripping from his face. I, I really didn't know what I was looking at until many years later. I didn't have that judgmental thought in me. I just had observation. I didn't really know. But what I was watching was an apathetic response. The careless recipient of the burden of love. The careless recipient of a man's burden. But that burden of love was the heartbeat of Jesus Christ. So if you want to know what God wants you to do or what your ministry should be, I'm going to tell you right now, your ministry, I can, give you a, I can give you the will of God right now. The will of God is what Brother Bessel quoted to you in his opening verse. I'm giving you power to be a witness. The word of the Lord has been in this house since we started. Your your your. Ministry is to be a witness. Because if you're thinking about a specific thing in here, you're starting at the wrong place. This is the last of what you ought to be doing. The first, let me just read it to you in Luke 14. Jesus is saying this. He said, the Lord said unto the servant, go out into the highways and to the hedges and compel them and get them by the hand that they would come in so my house can be filled. It means make them come in. The 
The Lord said, go get people. I don't care where they come from. I'm not concerned about their condition. Can you hear this now? They don't have to have pedigrees. I prefer they don't. They don't have to have heritage. It's hard to help people with heritage. Anyone who's sitting in the third or fourth chair, because your grandma and your great-grandma was a Pentecostal, you're hard for me to move. You give me a first chair person who don't know if, who was in the ark, Joan. That's the person I'm looking for. I'm looking for somebody who just says, tell me the Bible, Lord. I, I just want to know the scripture. I'll do whatever. I'll do what you do. And if you have heritage and you think it's great, get over it. Because that's not going to get you to heaven. My mama and my daddy love God and sacrifice, but I'm not going there based upon their sacrifice. They don't have to have positions and they certainly don't have to have perfection. And just so all of you know, the last thing you need to do is try to get perfect or better before you come to church. Because <laughs> if we started that mess, nobody'd show up. And anyone who did, they shouldn't. <laughs> oh, well. Here's what you do. You find people who have nothing to live for. And give them a seat at the table. Find somebody who's down on their luck. And give them inclusion into the family of God. And then while I'm watching this, this preacher sweating it out. While other people have their arms crossed and their legs, their arms folded and their legs crossed. While I'm watching him share his burden. He turned to those men, those group of nonchalant men. And he said, I went to the cemetery in my city and I parked my car and I walked on the grass and I found a grave that had just recently been filled in. The fresh dirt lay atop. He said, I sunk to my knees and I asked the deceased to forgive me. He said, I repented to all those who I did not reach and whose eternities were sealed forever. And something happened to me in my teenage years. Got right to my heart. I don't know where I'm going, Lord, and I don't know what you're doing in me, but I know one thing I'm going to do. I'm going to go reach somebody with the gospel. I'm going to compel them. I'm going to take them by the hand, and I'm going to lead them out. I'm going to grasp their hands, and I'm going to pull them out. Everything in our lives... Cannot be fixed, ladies and gentlemen. I know I've tried to fix a lot of folks, and I've always failed. And people are always searching for a remedy. I don't have the remedy. I wish I did. The reason usually revolves around a lack of purpose, though. There's some purpose lost. But if, because your purpose, if you find it, the remaining issues and struggles become less important once you find your purpose. But the purpose for the believer is to reach souls, to be a witness, to teach. That's your purpose, to spread the gospel. Hear me. When you start reaching souls, you'll stop thinking about yourself. When you become a soul winner, everything else becomes minimal.
You think less about what's going wrong and more about what you could do to connect your convert, your loved one, your friend to the church and to the spirit. If you come by yourself, chances are you'll either complain about the conditions or you won't care about the conditions. But if you bring someone with you, then every ministry from the parking lot to the platform has meaning. And you're going to say, man, I'm so glad a golf cart picked us up today. And you'll turn your friend and say, isn't this cool? Isn't this neat? And someone's opening up the door and your friend's getting greeted and someone's there with a bulletin and welcome. Man, wasn't that good? And Brother Grant gets up and starts singing, man. And there's a power on him, an anointing on him this day. As I was hearing him sing, I felt the power of the Holy Ghost as he was leading us out in worship. Man, if I had a friend next to me, I would be so happy. Somebody's been praying before they've been singing. If you come with someone else, you'll forget about all the conditions and you'll care about everything. You'll say, listen, it's okay. Here, you'll be talking about what's going on. This is a good place. You can be helped here. Go to the road. Go to the street. Go to your neighborhood. Go to those fancy brick houses which line golf courses. And then go to the places that have nothing. And don't discriminate about anybody. Don't worry about how they looked, uh, how they look, and how they appear. Forget about that. This is just a, an outward temporal flesh. It's just a, it's just a thing. It's inside that's going to matter. Get to the drug addict. And get to the alcoholic. And find the friendless. And be a friend. And I'm a little disturbed walking around the parking lot these days. I'm not seeing near enough cigarette butts on the, on the parking lot. I think he wants us to smoke. <laughs> I don't know. Uh-huh. Everything's so clean, so nice. And what, 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 what? We'll clean after we make a mess. We're going to clean after we make the big mess because we're into reaching people from the highways and the byways. We're compelling them because they're marching toward an attorney destiny. They are dead men walking. So don't get confused about what they're driving or what their education level is or their status because without Jesus, that's just a dead man walking. Let me help you. Stop getting passionate about sports. What difference did that make? Stop getting passionate about sales. Something's on sale and you're excited. When was the last time you showed up and waited for the doors of the church to open? But I can point to thousands upon thousands of stores on Black Friday, where people will camp out all night to save 50 bucks. Jesus is coming back, and you ought to be camped out in front of the doors. And if that means the doors are open a little bit later than they said, don't worry about it. Thank God you're in the building. 
Stop complaining and start bringing somebody. You'll stop complaining when you start bringing somebody. But if all you can see is all the trouble and all the other stuff, that means you have nobody with you. Compel them. Stop getting passionate about entertainment. You have a limited emotional reservoir. And if you spend all of your emotions on things that don't matter, no wonder you don't have a burden of love. And if you are void, emotionless about what the Holy Ghost is saying today, then you need to come to this house tonight and ask God to bless you with a burden for the lost. Ask God until you feel the gravity of the eternal soul in your own heart. Inward looking, ladies and gentlemen, happens when we are not reaching outward. Inward looking leads us far beyond self-awareness. It leads us into self-righteousness. It is the disposition of the Pharisee. Inward is perfecting our practices. That's good, except if that's all we do, then we'll just have performance. And performance can happen in classrooms here and the atrium. It can happen in the bookstore. Performance can happen in, in the coffee shop. It can, it's not just on the platform. It can happen in all the programs. Inward is what happens when the eaglets stay too close and stay too confined in the nest and never get out of the nest. Eventually, they will eat each other because they're too big. They were not designed or born to always live in the nest. But outward looking simply considers the condition of the lost. And because I know how people like to twist every word I preach, I'll set it on course. Strive to live a separate lifestyle. We're always going to be removed from the elements of a carnal society. Lifestyle must include sitting at the table like Jesus. Which the Bible called a master sitting at the table with all kinds of people. And the Pharisees said... He eats with publicans and sinners. Soul winning and teaching the gospel and reaching for lost people is the doing part of the Lord's commandment. So I say today, go, teach, compel, bring, baptize. Go, teach, get rejected, go again, get rejected, find somebody. They'll say yes, you'll teach them a Bible study, they'll reject it. Go find somebody else. Don't get down because everybody you've asked last year did not come. Go get someone else. Invite them. Compel them. Go to the station across the street. Go down to Kroger. Compel them. Tell them. Be kind to them and bring them. Because if you don't, you're going to come and say, Pastor, I'm really trying to find my ministry. And you're going to forget what I'm saying. I'm giving you your ministry right now. Here's your ministry. I, I, I wonder what motivates a church, all the churches, and what motivates us. I would submit to you, it has to be a soul. First, it's your soul, and it's your family. It's your loved ones. It's your spouse. It is your children. And if people come in, and they're on their second try, Welcome home. And if a prodigal comes back, let's have a party. How about, a, how about we have a party? I'm excited. I'm having a party. I'm happy for you. 
you got the right place and the right seat and the right praying mama and the right loving church. You got the right preacher. <laughs> you got the right altar. You got the right view. And all you've got to do is say, Ronald, I love you, Jesus. Because you've been baptized in the Holy Ghost and baptized in the, in the water in Jesus' name. And if the Lord comes back right now, we're both going. Come on, let's have a party. But I'm concerned that urgency is often lost in comfort. Convenience, please hear this. Convenience often swallows up urgency like a blue whale devouring the unsuspecting prey. Come, let us feel the passion for the people of our cities. I'm grateful to support every missionary that goes across the oceans and the seas. But I think the Lord's calling this church, each one, to be a missionary. You are a missionary to Sealyville and to Brazil and to Terre Haute <laughs> and to Illinois and to Bloomington <laughs> and to Clay County and Sullivan County and Vigo County, and wherever you are, you are a missionary. And if you need a commission, I'm commissioning you today, be a missionary. I give, you, I give you authority to be a missionary and to find every person and compel them and grab them. Don't hesitate. Don't hesitate today to feel the call of the Holy Ghost on your life. Don't hesitate today. Come on. This is not Capernaum. We will not be Capernaum. Don't hesitate. There is a judgment coming on this world, but there is a lighthouse and a safe house and a refuge at new life. Come on, missionaries. Someone just commit today. You'll be a missionary. Come on, commit. I'll be a missionary, pastor. I'm going to find somebody. <laughs> This is our pre-prayer prayer tonight. Lord, I'm preparing my heart first. Just help me today. That's right. That's right. Come on, missionaries. Come on. It's time for you to be a missionary. Come on, open up your mouth and be a witness. That's the call of the Spirit today. Compel them. Come on, there's a whole house of evangelists today. Men and women. Young men. Young women. Adults, young adults, youth group, children, come on, everybody. We're missionaries today. We're missionaries today. Oh, yeah.